now we're live technician is showing us thumbs up so welcome to the first english uh, and international kallimäki podcast so jussi murikan welcome thank you tomo it's amazing to have you here and we have some uh, attendees on the linkedin live so we are very much welcoming everybody who is watching this to participate because we want to answer exactly those questions that you guys have in mind isn't that right yeah happy to be trying to answer at least yeah. hopefully good questions and our main topics for today as as uh, the people watching and probably guess from what we are wearing here are going to be ukraine and of course you are known as the founder of liquido so we're going to talk about startups for sure today yeah but first uh, I'm I'm seeing a special shirt that you have on. So so just to kick things off, can you tell a little bit about what you're wearing? What is the symbol there? And yeah. uh, show show that shirt to the to the people mm-hmm. watching. Yeah. This camera here. Yeah. So so it's basically uh, a gift from Ukraine. But uh, I had one and one person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I had had one friend uh, joining the Schloss side event, the Bridge of Trust two weeks ago in Helsinki and uh, he took this with him from Ukraine and it's uh, actually the exact same t-shirt that uh, Mr. Zelensky the president of Ukraine is is you using all in all those (laughs) media conferences and so on really good quality of a t-shirt my my mother is uh, artist in this like (laughs) fabric so so i know something about the quality and, and it's a nice gift uh, directly from ukraine yeah. wow nice um, we have a first question from esa salonen and and uh, when i mentioned on my poll that we are going to talk about helping ukraine and startups he immediately asked that are we talking about local ukrainian startups or are we talking about some international big corporations that are trying to use the crisis to gain gain some personal uh, gains so how would you ask about this or t- tell us about this role of startups and business in the middle of a crisis okay <coughs> at first I, i would say there are many 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 different angles and you can uh, do a support uh, ukraine for in so many different ways For instance, I was helping uh, to have the f- first uh, help center to be in Helsinki. That was helping sort of Ukrainians entering Finland. But then at, th- at the same time, you can see now now mostly in my work that we are getting a lot of Ukrainian startups in our own deal flow. So we are getting to know them and we are trying to help them, uh, selecting the best ones of them. And that's sort of b- pure business now. Then there are a lot of like good corporations that are also supporting in the rebuilding phase of Ukraine because they need a lot of that when it starts. Actually, the war is still going on, so so it's not in that sense started. But of course, there are the, the companies and people actually that are willing to help help Ukraine understand also that the, when you do business with someone, you are helping as well. So it's it's all about like different kinds of levels of uh, support and I think the ones that are now active in there uh, and showing sort of that they, they are helping 
helping the country, then they have the best opportunities also when the wars ends and, and you sort of reach the trust between the countries and between the people before uh, the end of the war. And it gives you like a stronger network, trust and all of that when it's the time for the recon reconstruction phase. Exactly. <clears throat> so in practice, we are already starting the rebuilding phase now because yep. we are doing doing things. We are uh, building relationships. Yeah. We are building economy. We are building startups. And all this will be present once the war is over and it's time for the actual uh, rebuilding in that traditional sense. Yes. Yeah. Good, good point. And, and this is actually something that we need different kinds of organizations to join, different kinds of levels of people. We need public sector, we need private sector, we need small companies, we need bigger companies, we need technology providers, we need investors, <laughs> all of those. And this is actually something that for the audience as well, that if you want to join and, and uh, learn more about these kind of things, uh, you can send me a direct message. This is more like a hobby for me because I'm a serial entrepreneur. It's not something that I do <laughs> as, as my like 24-7 thing. It's, uh, it's holidays, but it comes from my heart. So, so it's sort of now matching also with my working role. Yeah, let's get to how you, how you got into this uh, help to help Ukraine. Let's get to that story in just a bit, but just a thought that came to my mind is that when we're talking about these startups and business and innovative people, in my mind, this is really the strength of the West. It's the strength of Europe. And when we are comparing uh, free democracies to authoritarian countries such as Russia, mm. which are really resource-driven this innovation is at the core of our strength. It decides even wars. <laughs> yeah, and, and then if you think about Ukraine as an example there, one of the only countries in top 10 list of uh, unicorn founders, from which countries comes the best unicorns in the startup field as well, uh, from Israel and from Ukraine. And the rest, maybe in, from Europe, Germany, which is bigger, and then just like this China and India, of course, because they're so much bigger ones. So, uh, so I think Ukraine already is in the face of, of having uh, huge future opportunities, um, being one of the top uh, growth centers of Europe. But we need the war to stop <laughs> before we can talk about that more. Absolutely. What is it about the Ukrainian mentality that drives this innovation and cooperation in your experience? This was a good and bad question. <laughs> I don't know. I would say in general, the, the, the country if, and the culture, if you have been learning more about it, it's a really a beautiful country as well. They have a long history. They have a good education system. They are, for instance, very high in... Uh, uh, software developer uh, education. They have been uh, one of the most big biggest resources in uh, for the companies outsourcing uh, software development, for instance. But where it comes from, you need to some more Ukrainians to answer that <laughs> question. <laughs> I don't know, but but uh, the thing that I've loved about 
knowing a lot of Ukrainians now is that uh, I've got so many good friends. And uh, I've fe felt that uh, the Finnish culture and Ukrainian culture were really nearby each other. Before the war, to be honest, me, I'm as a, as a fi Finnish uh, guy, didn't have this kind of an experience. I, I just knew some uh, like a dozen of Ukrainians, but I didn't have any close cooperation or something. But now, since I have uh, both Ukrainians living in Finland, but also Ukrainians living in Ukraine, a lot of business connections are there as well. Uh, so my experience is that it's really easy for us Finns to have a business with Ukrainians. Yeah, I've noticed the same. My background is in international sales, yeah. and I have some Ukrainian business partners, and I really have got the same intuition as you. Maybe yeah. it's something in our nation's histories, yeah. our people's histories. Maybe it has deep roots that we feel a sense of similarity. Yeah, it's like a bit like the Estonians. We have this close yes. feeling, and, and I have sensed the same with Ukrainians. Yeah. Uh, Let's check if we have got any um, audience questions now. And if if people haven't opened their keyboards yet, we'll get started with how you got to help Ukraine in the first place. But just a moment, I'll check it from my profile here. I'll go to my live live here and then I can see it. So... No questions yet, so let's move on and talk a little bit about the beginning. So how did you end up helping Ukraine in the first place? What happened? I don't know how it sort of... I know how it happened, but why did, did it happen? I don't know about that. I was in uh, Portugal, uh, Lisbon, actually. I was just working uh, there for a month. And I was living in my friend's uh, apartment. And uh, I was actually getting a call from Finland that, hey, when the war had started, I was, of course, following a lot. I was uh, following a lot about the news before the war started, and, and I knew that there was a really stressful situation. Then I was in Lisbon, and uh, I got a call from a friend that was asking, that you see, uh, day after the war started. You said, should we do something with this Ukrainian situation? I said immediately, yes. And that, <laughs> that is how it sort of started. And then I was also knowing some uh, like 20 uh, Ukrainians uh, in my LinkedIn profiles. So I was sending them, actually this was the first day, sending them just a message that, hey, if you need any help, I can help to find a safe route to Finland, as an example, and so on. And then uh, I got some replies, and uh, then I found one family that was actually, they are living now in Finland. And and I think that was part of this path of sort of ha having the personal emotions connected with this situation. Uh, and uh, that's sort of how it happened. Yeah, and what was the actual practical help that you guys got to do and and how fast were you were you helping as things are unraveling and the war is beginning and uh, how did uh, how did this happen uh, we used telegram groups during those days we got people that started to know from finland these are mostly finnish 
Ukrainians living in Finland or Finnish, Finnish, that uh, started to connect me and these groups, and we sort of managed the the whole voluntary organization in Telegram groups for each targets. For instance, there was targets for getting drones to the Ukrainian army, helmets, all of that, right from the start of the war. Then there were people in different groups finding, for instance, this help center in Helsinki, all, all those things. Then we had groups for getting jobs for Ukrainians, getting uh, apartments for Ukrainians in Finland, food for Ukrainians, all of those. And they were sort of a I- interesting match of uh, people from all over the Finland just finding those groups and, and starting to work. It was interesting and I got a lot of new friends from that. And for example, drones, they were huge of huge importance in the very beginning of, of the war and even now. Mm. All the time they are on the news. Yeah, but I have to say in the, those drone groups and these army-related groups, I was mostly like going through what is happening. So <laughs> I was I was just amazed about how people could uh, do those things. Uh, so I wasn't that active in in sort of being the guy there. I was more like helping the the help center things and uh, like humanitarian help things in the start. But but I saw a lot about how people just uh, gave their money. Uh, even those guys that went to verkokappa.com, you know the story. <laughs> they bought all the drones that they had there. And Andreas and Anders. Um, Has your mind traveled at all the uh, some kind of future where Finland is in the place where Ukraine is right now and Ukrainians are helping Finnish people. Do I see that kind of uh, uh, Has this thought entered your mind while you're doing this? Because what I've, when I've read the news and forums, uh, this is a thought that comes to mind to people a lot, that they are feeling like this Europeans are doing cooperation now. Mm. for for Ukraine and of course we want that to be as strong as possible but every once in a while people start to think what if this happens in Baltics what if this mm. happens in Finland and uh, where where would who would help us and how mm. would that organizing look in mm. that kind of future let's call it an alternative future for example yeah but i would say that finland has been one of the active countries and we would get a really good support if we would need But uh, personally, I'm thinking that what Ukraine is actually doing now, it's preventing this to happen to any other country in the Europe. And this is why they need our help now, because they help. When we help them, we help us to prevent that kind of a future. Um, and of course, uh, I, I'm sure that we would get the help from at least our European partners, uh, but also from the voluntary organizations part, because this is something that the media doesn't talk about. So it's nice to have these kind of <laughs> podcasts. That the voluntary organizations when the war started were there ahead like weeks before any national level of support uh, was there. So voluntary organizations made those amazing things uh, from Baltics and Nordics as well to help, uh, for instance, directly Ukrainian army. So, so it's amazing stories they're not sort of shared anyone but uh, and i don't want to take any like credit from those stories 
Yeah, but if you think about nations, they are working as democracies, and democracies are notoriously slow to yeah. react to things. That's the one uh, thing that I think we should develop to be better able to challenge these authoritarian countries, where mm. you can basically yeah. just do things on the drop of a hat. Yeah, but democracies are a bit slow unless we have had time to really build up some kind of contracts yeah. and some kind of pacts and some kind of uh, plans and everything needs to be like in year years before anything mm. happens mm. but normal people like you and I we can just take a telegram <laughs> and start to talk to other normal people yeah, yeah. of course it's faster uh, Normal people and normal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about normal, but people, <laughs> crazy people, <laughs> crazy people like you and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, but I still would say that uh, hey, the European countries and the US, we were really fast also in the national level to to get the help there as well. So and then now it should just should continue it like like it was in the beginning. So I'm also sensing some kind of uh, struggle in the European. Uh, For instance, um, um, defense tech companies, how fast they can build up the production uh, levels and so on. So hopefully we, we keep up doing what we promised to do from the start to, to really be there Yeah, until the end of the war. Definitely. So if somebody is listening to this now and is an engineer or entrepreneur or salesperson in in finland let's say how would you encourage them to help ukraine on their own place what what can they do based on everything you've experienced and seen from the start of the war i would i would like to start all kinds of like business connections with ukrainians you have to understand that for instance when we had this trip to Ukraine, leave uh, the ITRN event. Uh, was it two months ago? Uh, Lviv, uh, it's one of the biggest cities in, in Ukraine. It's uh, like a double of Helsinki size. It's They are living a regular, normal life there. There might be some alarms some de- sometimes and so on, but they are having just regular business and life there. So, so and uh, Ukraine is so big, count country so if you compare it with Finland it's like almost 10 times bigger it's a big market you can uh, already and all the time do business with Ukrainians even when the war is there so it was eye-opening experience also for me to visit there during the war times so so and an understanding sort of yes we saw like uh, I would say hundreds of volunteer soldiers entering country when we left from Ukraine. It was amazing to see those guys coming voluntarily from different countries to the country. But anyways, the city was normal. There was maybe some uh, bombings also there, some missile attacks like a few weeks before we were there, but mostly they are living just a peaceful life. So I would try to get Ukrainian connections, uh, uh, start to build businesses with them. That's a really good way to help. Yeah, definitely. Can you t- tell me a little bit more about this event that you had in Lviv? Mm. Uh, what was the purpose of the event? And 
Can you tell us some? Uh, the, the wording for us Finns is so, so difficult. Oliva. It's also like, <laughs> for me, it's like a, almost impossible word. Uh, yeah, it was Mikko Bekkahanski, who is a good friend of mine, was calling me last summer that, hey, since you have done some things with the Ukrainians, you might know also these Finns that would like to visit uh, Ukraine. And we have this IT Arena event, which is sort of the slush of Eastern Europe. Uh, it's coming on September. You see, could you arrange some some things to join us and let's have a bus from Krakow to Lviv and then join the event and let's have some kind of maybe evening together there. And this sort of escalated. <laughs> and then I was organizing this side event, the Bridge of Trust, which was bridging Nordics and Baltics uh, startup ecosystems and uh, uh, sort of funding partners, investors, uh, in having this idea that I would be bringing the Nordics and Baltics, the most active ones, pro-Ukraine people, investors, to, to this side event in Ukraine. Then we would have their Ukrainian startup ecosystem, key players, investors, startup entrepreneurs. And then we combined this all and had have this really successful event in in September and uh, it was called the breach of trust and th that sort of this is maybe the most critical thing that I want to say today is that why we're talking about breaching of trust if you think about doing any transactions or having any connections with people you always need some kind of a trust trust uh, side of it. Then if you are trying to get business uh, outside of your own country, if you try to get connection, you need even more trust points, this kind of. And then the breach of trust came to my mind. So for instance, breach has to be something that you want to trust. So if there is a river and <laughs> there is a breach that you don't trust, you don't want to go through that breach. But if you can trust it, you can then have a nice nice trip there and also in business when you have some other country you don't have any connections there it's really difficult to build any business so this was the sort of original idea for for this event and did you see some interesting ukrainian uh, investors finnish uh, businesses come together and yeah. some fruitful conversations happen yes uh, and also direct investments uh, because there was uh, for instance defense tech companies founders in the event and then we had defense tech uh, uh, Finnish investors there investing into those and now it's sort of starting so we had the se second side event with the same name uh, when it was slush in Helsinki and then now it's just the beginning of, of building those uh, bridges of trust Between exactly. those countries. By the way, I, I did this poll uh, just before we went live, and uh, the first responders to the poll have all answered that they want to, us to talk about the role of business in crisis. So yeah. that that's what really seems to stir people's minds. And uh, how, how how have you viewed this uh, sanctions part of the mm. war and? When the war started, 
EU was quite quick with the sanctions, but still there were some companies that continued to do business in Russia. And w- what's your message to all the businessmen who are who are doing business now and perhaps notice that okay, we are still having a distributor, for example, who is selling selling to Russia or Russia-related countries. Mm, so this is a good example of a question that I'm trying to have these two different tracks. Business track, the, the, the version of a Liquidos founder, answer, and then Jussi. So Jussi thinks that you should do nothing at the moment with Russians in any kind of cooperation before the war is ending. Because they need to feel it. They need to understand that something they're doing is wrong. Uh, it's not anything that they will be uh, that happy when the history books will be written. Then, on the other hand, yes, we have opportunists uh, that are now having these businesses. I'm not the one that comes and say, like, uh, fuck you and uh, so on. But uh, but for me, it's uh, like as a Finn, as we, we have the same history. Uh, For us, it's really easy to select the side, really easy to select the side. So it means that for me, it's uh, incredible to th- even think about someone building some business relations or having some opportunistic log- logistics with with the, uh, providing these exporting products or whatever. Uh, the first part of the answer is this, then about Overall, about the the business, doing business or, or or what is the role of business during crisis? Was it so? That question was um, how was it uh, about the role of business in crises? Yeah. That's it, plural, like yeah. crises such as this. So I think uh, to be honest, I haven't been seeing a lot of business <laughs> now in that traditional sense that we would have been selling something for Ukrainians as an example, or building these uh, kind of direct business opportunities uh, uh, in what I have been working with. Uh, but it's more like building the business relations now uh, before the war is uh, uh, ending. And uh, and then seeing, for instance, these kind of transactions that Finnish investors are investing into into the startups, but mostly like I've seen a lot of companies, a lot of pri- privately owned companies and entrepreneurs willing to take and take their own part of helping Ukraine and then maybe providing some services also, but not trying to get any business in traditional way, more like helping them. So this is what I have seen a lot. And I could mention many of them, but this actually These entrepreneurs, normally, they are not in these podcasts. They yeah, are just yeah. putting money in, for instance. Like I, I know so many people, people that have been investing uh, into the help of Ukraine. Big sums. They never want their name into anyone. Wow. Yeah. Working behind the scenes, not making a number of what yes. they're doing, yes. but they're doing it. Yes, exactly. Um 
And we have these podcast faces. So. Yes, we are the podcast faces. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> uh, by the way, Mr. Technician, could you put the air conditioning to number four so we can get some more air here? I feel like the studio is a little bit yeah. uh, hot and we need some also some more oxygen to get this CO2 out. You know, I used to work in sensors, so I know all about this parts per million. Do you have like your is. internal sensory system working? It's calibrated pretty <laughs> well because I lived actually in a, in a single room when I was a student and I had for one year I had this sensor on and yeah. I could sense how it feels when I'm alone or with two people or where we have 10 people in my apartment and uh, everybody's starting to have red uh, cheeks yeah. and uh, brain fog because of this CO2. Yeah, uh, uh, and uh, that's just something I really know this nowadays. Yeah, so. <laughs> seems to be so. I didn't notice anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so a little bit about your own background as the founder of Liquido. So tell us a little bit about about Liquido. What is it? What separates it from other companies working in the startup field? We have actually found the right a way to describe sort of the category of what we are doing. It's a venture builder that's uh, used mostly in the US. Venture builder is something that you have a venture studios, you have these VCs, venture capital companies, funds, uh, angel investors, you have all those players, at least to mention a few one. Uh, venture builder is uh, that kind of a category in which we are sort of directly uh, working uh, with the founders of the companies and helping them as sort of a co-founder when they are starting. And we are helping startups and selecting the best ones to support with this. Uh, it means that, yes, we have this background of building startups uh, and uh, we have like 25 uh, portfolio companies at the moment and uh, we are always owners of the company so there's no consultancy and or sort of we have been talking about like we are not a sort of a company with uh, revenues we are more like uh, investors that we are investing in those companies that we help and the founders that we support and we can take like five companies per year and uh, we try to be sort of architects of those startups to to help to build them right and uh, this is basically what we are doing from the very beginning that this startup is yeah. forming yeah uh, we want to help them grow pre-revenue yes pre-revenue uh, we've been uh, this is to lifeline ventures guys uh, they invented this I don't know if they invented actually this same but at least I saw it from there some post that It's a pre-PowerPoint phase. <laughs> <laughs> so it can be even pre-PowerPoint or pre-founding the company. Exactly. But, but from there to one million euro revenue, I would say the normal area that we work. So in the early stage, we want to be the builders. We want to build. But that's, that's we when don't actually... like renovation. Yeah, <laughs> that's a different <laughs> job. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's when you actually, as a... As a Uh, inventor, for example, that's when you really need. You you may not even know it, but you, that's actually where yeah. you really need friends. Really yeah. need people who know how to do this. 
Yeah, true. And then also I would say that many times um, we are found by the founders because we have been helping uh, these companies to get funding. So, so they, they sort of understand that, yes, that has to be a good player because the companies get funding and we get recommendations based on this. Also successful funding rounds and so on. But more or less we are selling, saying all to the founders that, hey, money is only like a side product here. So, so we want to build the best companies instead of just getting funding for them. And, and the founders many times think that they need only money because they have the plans. They do know how to do it, build it. So and maybe a bit different point of view. And later when we have been doing cooperation, they maybe understand that they sort of bought us funding, but got sort of the way to how to build the business. Yeah, C- can you give us some kind of example of, of companies? What kind of companies uh, end up into the deal flow and become liquid partners? So, and, yeah. and what what separates the companies that uh, of this multitude of companies you're choosing about five per year? Mm. What is the separating factor? Uh, many, because this sort of. Um, a mathematics type of a thing so you have to have enough of companies you have to have enough of sort of scoring points to get in to our portfolio and we are having maybe 30 different areas that we evaluate so it's not just one thing or two things but i would say founders profile is really really big part of it then the market size is it big enough Is there some relevant business possi- possibilities? Is it scaling the business model? These traditional basic things have, have to be there. Then about the industries, we are not doing gaming industry as an example, because in gaming industry, you know, this Finnish uh, gaming industry ecosystem is really high level level of an ecosystem. We don't have anything to give to that ecosystem. For instance, that or some maybe um, like really deep tech or like medicine development type uh, of of companies. We don't do that actively. So there's also this industry side. So early stage, whatever industry, basically, if it's not gaming or medicine or something, and then the, it has to have this uh, secret something, maybe IPR there as well that can be something special and unique in the mar- market globally, scalable, good team. And we also always tell that we want to find these companies that somehow do good for the world. It's not about it's only like health tech or it's not only about green tech or, or something, but something good for the world. We have said, uh, so ma- basically it means that We're not that interested, if I have given this example of someone on is, um, for instance, uh, building some extra uh, things for, for for an ERP solution or something in the accounting. And yeah, it's getting something, maybe processes better or so on, but we want to get some <laughs> like real stuff, like this kind of... Uh, Solutions that help people or uh, 
make uh, the world better in any kind of nice way. Yeah, this is what Simon Sinek calls starting with the why. Yeah. So yeah, we ha- and we also have the why guys in the world and the how guys. So th- there's a example of Walt Disney and Roy Disney. And Walt Disney is the guy who says why. Why mm. do we need a Disney corporation? Mm. Because we need magic for kids. And then you have Roy, who thinks how do we make an actually a successful company out of this, out yeah. of making magic to yeah. kids' worlds. Yeah, and that's actually something all the startup founders, many times they <laughs> want to see, or we also want to see that there is someone with a big strong vision, maybe sales skills, uh, that really is like the guy that goes through the wall. But then there's also good to have the COO profile of a person many times that is sort of trying to at least uh, try to design uh, the execution right so many good companies they need many qualities from the people that are working there that's what i was going to ask you about so we need many kinds of people many kinds of personalities and strengths but but what about as an investor because i believe many of our listeners are actually contemplating whether they should invest into startups. Mm. So so you know about that view also. So what would you say to people when they are contemplating this? Who are the people, what is the right mindset that you need if you want to get into this startup scene and start investing in star- various startups? Yeah, good question. And I would, actually you didn't ask it, but I... I would say one of the criteria is that you have to have enough of money uh, in your personal sort of account that you can invest in in startups. So it cannot be ever like the only thing thing you are investing in. Would be my personal opinion. Yep. But then, if you have that, then you have to have also understanding of that you have to ha- uh, build a portfolio of maybe dozens of companies instead of just one or two. Maybe you can guess right and you can be lucky and you can get <laughs> good returns from one and two, but normally it doesn't go like that. But then I would say the most critical thing is to, because we are talking about startup investing. It's more, many times we talk about business angels and what is being a business angel? It's 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 not meaning that you invest like 20K to one company and then say, good luck. Because the original idea of being a business angel is to, uh, uh, Kim Weisen has said this pretty well. So one of the most famous Finnish investors that you actually paying a ticket to be able to work for free. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what what this business angel is. This is for money first, and then you are also starting to work with the company. Don't you sense that ever with us <laughs> as well? But then. Uh, that's one thing. So you have the, I would say it would be good if you would like working with people and helping them. Because I think that's the most relevant thing here. So if you get something for the startup founder, as an example, if you get some some investor to invest 20K to your company, then you might get like 50K from the help, the actual network, the actual opening up your you a business or helping you with your strategy and so on and so on. And this is 
what we see, like on a daily basis, that we find these people that are actually, we say many times that, hey, we don't actually need that money from those. But hey, they can maybe give us some money as well. But if we get that one to help us, then we are like, yeah. And that's also like Liquidus role sometimes to say, that, hey, Tuomo, we want this. <laughs> this is, <coughs> sounds a bit like this Shark Tank and this <laughs> Leonel Luolassa <laughs> programs where you sometimes just want to get the right person to yeah. help you. And it might be just because of the network or the experience that that person has. And there are different people. There are also people that are having enough of time. They might be even uh, like they don't work anymore. They're, they can like really put some time in uh, on top of the investment itself. Or then uh, we're having, of course, those vesting models for, for some investors that they put some money in and they, they are actually helping the startups and getting even more shares of the company based on sort of earned uh, shares of the company. I'm thinking about our listeners in LinkedIn. And I want to ask you about startups as an employer. So let's say there is a person now listening who is working in a perfectly usual small business or maybe medium-sized business, good finances, not not uh, untypical risks in the horizon. And then they get a uh, offer from a startup. Maybe mm. they have a connection, some friend or family member. But, And they're starting a startup. And uh, what? How should you see the startup as, in, in general, as this normal everyday worker mm. who who gets an enticing offer? The numbers seem big and opportunities seem big, but it's really hard to view mm. how risky this is. Yeah, it is, and it is, and it will be r- r- difficult. And I have even been doing those mistakes in my life. Yeah to be honest. Uh, but I would say that you have to understand that, hey, this is not anything that's sort of the normal, like coming from a corporation and you have uh, this traditional and salary comes every month and let's just work eight hours and that's it. Or Okay, nowadays the, even the startups, they normally don't have these long working days that they used to be, used to be maybe some years ago, but there is a healthier culture nowadays. But uh, anyways, I would say it's it's an investment. It's always you, you don't want to go to work in a startup in which you are not getting shares of or like a relevant share of the company. Just going to get some uh, salary. It's not the way to go to work in a startup. And I'll, of course, now I'm talking about the early stage phases. Of course, then if it's like, uh, I think Google is still saying that it's a startup. So <laughs> there, there are different phases for startups as well. But uh, if it's uh, already having good funding and good revenues and so on, it's a bit more different. Um, so first thing, ownership. Then also understanding that, of course, then it's a huge opportunity if you believe in it, if you have the capacity to to be one of the superstars of a startup, then you also get a lot of reputation from the market to be one of those superstars that was 
able to instead of being in a corporation and taking that uh, traditional annual or monthly salary and bonuses and all of that and having never any kind of stressful situations in your work then if you if you enjoy an environment that when there are risks and an adventure then you want more of to be in the startup world i, I have one uh, more thing to add sorry uh, there's also, also this kind of a theory about how you have if you have uh, been able to taste startups it's difficult to go back to to drinking coffee <laughs> so it's like uh, this what is it uh, theory of uh, different stages that you porti theoria so, so. yeah that's that's the gateway drug <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's so high in drugs to be a startup founder so coming back to the normal life is a bit difficult maybe for sure you have this Uh, dangerous situations and speed. <laughs> yeah, give me, give me more, give me more. <laughs> You're addicted when once yeah. you go there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can see it from my gray. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you can get that in the <laughs> drinking coffee in the corporation <laughs> too, but that's that's maybe more about uh, some other <laughs> situations there. But you don't get to be a superstar maybe in the corporation, except in the Christmas party and the local pub. But these startups, mm. if you're there and it becomes a unicorn, okay, mm. now you're a superstar. Mm. Um, But I you have to understand that <laughs> only like one out of thousand and is yeah. then giving you the opportunity to be w- one of the superstars. But when you get this job offer, everybody is the unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. We mm. need optimism mm. for, for sure. sure. True. That's that's part of it. But maybe uh, the background to my question is that it's easier for the entrepreneur to uh, view it as an investment and as a risk but as somebody who's coming from the corporate world mm. it can be a whole you basically should learn investing before you uh, uh, sort of yeah consider it uh, then you can call me like yeah <laughs> i can give some <laughs> advice about for instance how to for instance i had actually one discussion like this yesterday Uh, it was from one of the partners of us. It was uh, a question about how should I do, what kind of an agreement should I have, and so on. I was saying that, hey, yes, y- use this vesting model also. And uh, these are something that, what, what is it? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> what, is, what is vesting for many people? So you can also, also always uh, ask us if you need help in that. Yeah, and <coughs> about vesting and these uh, terms that there are in startup world, <laughs> I, I uh, did a little poll about them too, and I'd like to ask you to clarify some of those, those right. terms. Hey, but did, did you know that we have this dictionary, startup dictionary? Really? Liquidus own. Wow. Yeah, it was a Christmas present last year. Oh, wow. So you can find all those. This was not actually something that we planned. <laughs> no. Yeah, but we have this uh, dictionary. Uh, you can find startup dictionary. It's uh, mostly like Finnish for yeah. Finnish audience. And we decided that we will share it to sort of uh, Christmas present also this year. <laughs> the same present. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there is some updates of the words that we also have. But It's really good for this situation because you have a lot of like this kind of special uh, 
words that you don't use anywhere else. Yeah, and some of these terms may be used in in uh, also the corporate world. Mm. They may be. Uh, yeah, but some some of these may be more like in the startup world. Yeah, and please, if if uh, Evelina, if you're following, please share the link to startup our startup dictionary. Let's get that link to the comments one way or the yeah. other. Yeah, but uh, maybe we should do this like a lightning round. Mm. So you're the expert here, and I'm gonna ask you just by giving one term, okay. and you can give like a. Ten word explanation, or okay. just a couple words explanation of and this. Uh, this is bad because we haven't been talking <laughs> no, before. No. So, ah. <laughs> this can, but I, okay. if, if you don't, <laughs> if you're unable to <laughs> give the answer, we, we can just <laughs> look at the. <laughs> yeah, but this is live, so. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, keep keep it going. Okay, let's let's get going. Let's get some danger to this. So, <laughs> explain hikipaoma like sweat equity. Oh, what okay. is this? Okay, it's like. <laughs> this is an easy one. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, many times the startups actually they don't have any money to to pay you uh, in the first phases when when you need some help. Then you can can have these different people that still are needed to build the phase. For instance, when you are entering into a funding round later, you get people or your friends or professionals to help you, and you pay with the shares of the company. So you don't basically pay with money. They are helping you, they get share of the company. Uh, it can be like a vesting period of like 12 to 36 uh, months. And then you have also like hybrid models that you sort of pay something and half of it you pay with the shares of the company. So they become uh, owners of your company, but you don't have to use cash in payments. Exactly. In short, cool. that was good and short. Uh, <clears throat> so the next one is shareholder agreement. The guy who's sipping coffee in the corner office, he's never heard of shareholder agreement, and now it's in front of yeah, them uh, at the table. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I, I was when I was uh, starting as an entrepreneur, I was always the one that hey, give me the papers and I will sign them, and I didn't care about the papers. Me, nowadays. I do care of the about the papers. So, shareholders agreement is a sort of uh, you can uh, compare it with uh, getting married to the people that are signing it because it's an agreement in which all the owners of the company sort of say different things. That this is what what we have planned here. This is what we are agreeing on. Uh, It's like uh, almost like a Bible of the company, really relevant to 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 be that everyone is understanding what they are signing, what kind of agreements and details there. You can also have lots of different situations. For instance, when some founders want to leave the company, what are the conditions there then? And and if someone is investing, what is Do you have these Westings included? Uh, so, for instance, if you someone is Westing is uh, investing, uh, the founders may have like three uh, years, as an example, to that they have to be working for the company based on that agreement as well. So, my advice for all the startup founders or people signing 
agreements, shareholders agreements, be careful and build them right. And we are not selling shareholders agreements because we are not a legal office, office here. But that's what I've learned. It's a really good uh, important agreement for yep. a startup or a company. Yeah, for a company, it doesn't always go as we plan. Yeah. Maybe five yeah. founders, but and everybody's like really excited. But maybe somebody has a real catastrophe in their life, yeah, and uh, or or a great opportunity that competes with the startup yeah. or fo- forces them to divide their time. Yeah, it's a completely different situation, yeah. and that's what why we need these shareholder agreements yeah. before we are find ourselves in a yeah. company. Yeah. <clears throat> and agreements are also for those situations in which you have maybe a fight. So there, there is a strict rules that okay, it goes like this, and you can also manage that kind of a situation. But of course, we never want to fight. But normally, you don't use those. Normally, you don't have to use the agreements. You just can uh, negotiate different uh, future. Uh, opportunities for for each p- people but but when you have the agreement there it helps you to uh, go through difficult situations yeah and it makes the negotiations a little bit more simple yeah. when you have this actual yes. written yes. paper behind you if yeah. you need it yeah now so the next one maybe someone has gone to linkedin and in my profile and seen that i'm actually an advisor for liquida so mm. what is an advisor <laughs> Thanks for being part of the ha- family. Uh, it can be many different things, of course. Um, but in um, this bubble, the, the startup bubble, uh, advisor means that uh, someone is um, helping, uh, for instance, the portfolio company, our portfolio company, as an advisor. Advisor is not a board member. It's not so officially involved guy. But that is someone that is helping uh, the founders with the advice they can give from different fields. It can be in marketing, it can be in uh, R&D, it can be in funding, it can be in any any field. And, and uh, one of the sort of key uh, things uh, for, for Liquidus own thinking and the methods is that we always try to find the best advisor for the companies. We are not actually thinking that we are any good advisors. We are just sort of architects that know these people that, hey, discuss with that guy or that guy and so on. And many times, like a, in the basis uh, of, of what we are doing with the portfolio companies, we first had a kickoff uh, day of before yesterday and with one new company. And one of the most time we, we used for was to first talk about the tracks hey, we need this kind of uh, guy to help us understand, for instance, for instance, the industry or go-to-market plans or internationalization phase or something. And we, when we understand that, hey, for this company, it is that we need people in those kind of tracks, then we start shortlisting the people from our network or even not in from our network because it might not be there yet, but we are searching for and trying to find the right guys. And uh, given this uh, uh, advisor of Liquido is, I, I guess it's a bit pretty big honor for you as well, because we are not giving that to that many people. 
Definitely. Was it a good answer? At all? That was a very good answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, especially the last. <laughs> last. <laughs> okay. And uh, <clears throat> so we have these three little three-letter combinations here. By the way, I didn't mention it, but shareholder holder agreement in Finnish is called osakassopimus. If you heard that word, but not the English one, connect. Yeah. You can now connect uh, words. Uh, so. This is maybe more about the marketing side, but the CAC, uh, customer acquisition cost. What's happening here? Uh, where, who found those words? Is it like you? <laughs> I, I uh, okay. did some digging. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's uh, mostly used in uh, SaaS world, so software as a so- service world, but uh, it can be used in an everywhere. But basically, uh, you are. Um, having these different metric uh, basics uh, in SaaS companies, for instance. Do you, you want to, uh, for instance, uh, see that what is the actual customer acquisition cost compared with the customer lifetime value, which is meaning that if I'm paying you like 10 euros, could you become my cu- customer? Yeah, 10 euros, you said yes. 10 euros was the customer acquisition cost. But it's a combination of, of all the marketing and sales efforts that the companies do to get one client. So it's an average uh, uh, sum of money used to get one new customer. And in SaaS world, it's really critical to understand that if you have, well, for instance, you, you try to get 1,000 new customers, you have to understand how much money you have to spend to get those 1,000. And what is the, for instance, the in, in investment sort of compared with the lifetime value of the customer, meaning that if they are, for instance, uh, using your software solution mo- on monthly based, MRR based uh, for three years, and then it means an average Lifetime value is, is that, and then you sort of know the sum, the total sum, and then you compare it with the sum of money needed to get new customers. So, for instance, if if, if the sum needed more, <laughs> you need more sum to 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 spend on uh, the, the acquisition costs compared with the lifetime value, then it's not a good business. And 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 investors many times sort of uh, watching these metrics that and also other metrics, but still, I don't know if I. Yeah, that's a good explanation. Okay. And uh, this is something that the marketing-focused people or entrepreneurs who are maybe starting, especially if they're starting like web shops or these kind of things, yeah. uh, th- those guys from LinkedIn uh, r- uh, really work in that world. Yeah. So uh, we are getting to the end of this live <laughs> and we need to do another in some <laughs> some part of the future. Yeah. But today we have talked about Ukraine, helping Ukraine. This is especially you working as, as a private citizen, yeah. private person. Yeah. And then we've talked about this startup world, world where you are the founder of Liquido mm. and you know how this world works. You're the uh, friend of founders in, in the startup world. Mm. So uh, regarding these two topics, uh, what would you give some as some final words of the podcast to people who are listening to this? Maybe they're LinkedIn people or our international friends. Give us some uh, some greetings regarding these two important topics that yeah. we discussed today. Yeah. 
and how to sort of understand the combination of yeah, these. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say there are plenty of different ways to be part of it. If if you want to be somehow, for instance, uh, following Ukraine, uh, following the rebuilding phase of Ukraine, follow me. If you want to be part of, uh, for instance, investing into Ukraine or Ukrainian startup ecosystems, you can <laughs> ask me. If you want to be advisor in, in any or portfolio companies, you can ask me. Um, uh, but now I'm sort of seeing that in the first days, for, for instance, like one and a half years of the voluntary work was doing nothing with my <laughs> own work. But uh, as an explanation of the whole story here is that uh, first I was doing this voluntary th thing, then people asked me to, to join the uh, different kind of uh, members of uh, startup uh, competitions in, uh, for instance, judging what is the best and so on. And then it became uh, more nearby my world at IT Arena and then Schloss, our own side event there. So I think that the thing that I would like you to uh, think uh, and, and learn from this kind of an experience is that actually don't think too much. If you have this kind of a situation that you have to act, like it was for me when the war started, I had to act. It was not any mm, strategy. Yeah. It was like if, you, if it comes from your heart, do it. And then you might end up into a situation that you would look, go like, hey, it was actually beneficial for myself as well. So, but you don't select those things with your heart. You cannot, in the same discussion, discuss about any kind of like strategic, opportunistic yeah. things. You have to do it from your heart. Then it might happen that it's sometimes paying off. That was my personal learning. Also from this, yeah, that's that's a good experience to leave to our our followers. So, if somebody has not followed you yet, they can find you on LinkedIn. Yeah, the, of course, you can find liquider.vc yeah. on the internet. Uh, do you have any other social media or web mm. uh, pla places where where people could follow yeah. you? Of course, Instagram. You can follow me, but there are mostly uh, mushroom. Pictures and fish <laughs> pictures. Musta tarvisi eni. So yeah, you can follow me also on Facebook. Uh, actually, it's not possible, but uh, yeah, LinkedIn is the best. Yeah. For for uh, I'm mostly sharing the relevant things there. So and uh, yeah, that's it. We, we are active there. LinkedIn is great. Yeah. So. That's why I'm doing these yeah. podcasts now as LinkedIn Lives. Yeah. So this is great. We can integrate the whole thing. Everybody's being very positive in LinkedIn. Everybody's mm. building stuff there. We're being creative. So a big thank you to everybody mm. in LinkedIn who has participated yeah. with, with us over the period that we have been there. Uh, it's going to be an interesting journey even with the podcast, when this mm. start to, starts to build up. So, Tuomo might not know, but I was once asking all the LinkedIn uh, people from Finland who was the first in Finland. 
And I found like, was it fourth or something was in the list. I was, it's a huge work some years ago. And uh, I've been, uh, I, I was thinking that I have to be in the top, was it 50 or 30 or something? I don't remember, but I was also in like top 100 or something. And if you want someday to, for instance, as a content to your, your channel, to find the first ones from LinkedIn, I have the list because I was uh, getting a lot of lot of people to to give them uh, their uh, date of uh, becoming a LinkedIn member. Wow, I, I, I want to see that list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot, Jussi, for coming. It's great to finally have this. We had to cancel a couple times, so yeah. it was awesome that some event management. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great that you took the time and. We managed to do this. Let's do this again in the future. Thanks to everybody watching. And uh, let's close this with these words. So thank yeah. you. Thanks. <laughs>